When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey podcast, welcome to The Tint. Uh, this is your host, Scott Fellman. It's good to have you with us again this morning. And I say morning because it is uh, early morning here in Los Angeles. Not sure what time it is where you are or where you're listening to, but we certainly appreciate your uh, stopping by and spending part of your day with us. It's been very gratifying so far to, to share the, our ideas with you in a, in a new and exciting format. Um, after yesterday's piece, where we were talking about seasons and, and replicating them, or at least the concept of replicating them in the aquarium, I was very pleasantly surprised by the uh, amount of you know, communication from our and discussion from our community worldwide. Um, people asking me questions, giving their ideas, and sharing thoughts on the topic, and and uh, it's good to see that we're actually thinking along those lines. <clears throat> Excuse me, one of those early morning uh, clear your throat moments here. Anyway. Um, you know, we received so much feedback and, and a lot of you were curious about how we can more realistically and impactfully execute, you know, seasons in our botanical style aquariums. And, um, you know, again, it's amazing to see you having this discourse about this concept, which has really not been previously discussed all that much in the hobby, to my knowledge. Now, let's think about this in the context of where we are. And right now, as we gradually ease towards autumn here in the northern hemisphere, it's sort of easy to have that on your mind. It's easy to contemplate the subtle and sometimes not so subtle things that occur when the seasons actually do change. And of course, I can't help but wonder how this affects our fishes and how they might benefit from understanding these changes and how we might apply them to our aquariums, which again is the basis for all this stuff. Now, we know a little bit about what happens during seasonal changes in nature, the weather, weather patterns shift. And these are profound impacts on the wild habitats of our fishes. They have important effects on the way our fishes live out their lives, and and spawn and so forth. I think we kind of beat the shit out of that concept yesterday, but I think we can still examine it on a more practical level today. I mean, it's obvious how the seasonal shifts affect our personal hobby efforts, right? With the cooler weather prevailing in many parts of the world and outdoor activity starting to become a little less attractive in some parts of the, of the world, many hobbyists are once again, you know, turning their focus to their aquariums. Maybe those things that we neglected over the summer, uh, you know, that we, when, you know, we had more interesting or, or fun activities out there, uh, that we're calling to our, uh, attention span, we're suddenly starting on or finishing projects that were previously delayed, you know, as we enjoyed our summer aquarium clubs have their big annual shows, attendance at club meetings goes up as the, you know, aquarium industry business, we notice an uptick in sales activities simply because people are spending more time with their hobbies. Again, it's noticeable, it's predictable, and it's a logical consumer behavior. Yep, it's aquarium season again here in the Northern Hemisphere. Time to play with some new ideas or to perfect some that we've already started working on. It's a pretty exciting time. Now, all seasonal celebrations aside, think about this. What impacts do seasonal changes have on aquariums and the fishes that inhabit them and ones that we can replicate easily or at least capitalize on as aquarists? <clears throat> Excuse me again. Well, for one thing, we can think about lighting. Lighting differs at various times of the years. 
And with high-tech LED lighting systems now pretty much the standard and readily available and less expensive all the time, it's never been easier for us as hobbyists to manipulate the color temperature, the angle, the intensity, and the duration of light in our aquariums. And each one of these aspects alone has potential implication for the husbandry of our fishes. There's science out there on lights and lighting uh, in the natural environment and how it impacts behaviors. Much of this is yet to be interpreted for the aquarium. It's a vastly unexplored area in the freshwater aquarium world, particularly. It's ripe for exploration and potential breakthroughs. We've done a lot of work on that in the reef aquarium world and lighting over the last few years and its impact on corals and coral husbandry. There's so much that we can do in the freshwater world besides just picking the right light and turning it on. The, the mind boggles. Now, since many of our areas, uh, areas where our fishes come from are at the equator, there's very little temperature variation between the seasons. However, the rainy season, as we've talked about many times in these areas, does occur. And the impacts you know, on the aquatic environment are significant. The wet season is extremely important for our fishes. In the Amazon, which I always keep going back to, um, for example, the wettest part of the wet season occurs between December and May. And during the wet season in general, the Amazon rainforest receives as much as 6 to 12 feet, which is 1.98 to 3.6 meters of water, which causes the rivers like the Amazon to rise as much as 40 feet or 12 meters. And that floods the surrounding forest areas. The fishes adapt by moving into these areas that were previously barren and dry, and they're foraging among the now submerged you know, trees, grasses, and plants. And of course, as a lover of the flooded forest habitat, I find this irresistible to study. I personally believe that the the process of creating a dry or terrestrial scape and then gradually flooding it with water, as we've shared with you a lot recently, is one of the key unlocks to learning more about the seasonal changes uh, on the environment and on our fishes. I think even starting with a shallow water aquarium and gradually increasing the depth and making some compositional changes to the physical environment, you know, adding more botanicals, etc., is a good simulation of these dynamics. We've talked about, you know, my uh, little foray into what I call the urban agapo and even developing some products that we'll be releasing soon. You know, that's my shameless plug. That'll help you more easily uh, replicate this in your own home. Everything seems to adapt in the rainforest, including even the trees. Trees have adapted to the seasonal flooding by developing these roots that grow above the ground. These roots are called buttress roots. And they would be a really interesting feature to replicate in the aquarium. There's lots of pictures you can go Google and look for of buttress root in a rainforest tree. And you can see they're very unique structures. And what's neat about those is they actually perform, not only perform a function for the tree itself during the dry season and the wet season, they also impact the, um, I guess you'd call it the benthic or aquatic environment when there's uh, water in play. And now how would we do this? Well, we'd simply start our tanks by choosing pieces of driftwood which resemble those features, or we can utilize several pieces of wood uh, and use our talents to recreate the look and ultimately the function of the buttress roots. Um, What function can an artificial recreation of this physical feature perform? Well, for one thing, it becomes a place to sort of sequester or accumulate leaves and botanicals, much like what happens in the wild habitats. It's almost sort of like a natural dam. Uh, Again, look for pictures uh, of these uh, in the flooded forests, or you can look on our blog version of the tent. I have a couple of photos in the blog uh, of this very title that shows buttress roots and how they actually perform underwater. Uh, You know, my much maligned, and I say maligned by me because I'm kind of over it, 
Uh, Asian themed Blackwater Aquarium at Home embraces this idea and it attempts to replicate that feature. And I think I did it well because with the current and the water flow, all that stuff, the leaves sort of accumulate just like they would in nature in this feature. Um, and I've learned quite a bit from that. Yeah, I'm personally totally over this tank and I'm sure we'll talk about this soon because I'm, I just wanted to move on to something else. But it served its purpose validating my thoughts on the concept of recreating a buttress root in the aquarium. Uh, again, pictures on the website of this tank on our, on our blog and I illustrate that. So it always seems to come down to leaves in the waterways, doesn't it? And of course, the leaves come from trees and they fall into the water. Yet it's not that quite simple, actually. There's processes and cycles involved with leaf drop that we can probably replicate in the aquarium to some greater extent than we've been doing. For example, uh, recent studies have shown that the rainforest, trees, and plants actually flush, which is the term for growing new leaves, shortly before the arrival of the dry season. It's postulated that there's something in their genetic programming that allows them to prepare for the onset of the relatively light-rich season to get them ready for enhanced photosynthetic activity. So in other words, you know, getting all those new leaves to act as photoreceptors, it's kind of cool. And even the onset of the dry season could be replicated in an interesting matter in our aquariums. You can pulse the additions of leaves in this, uh, in this time period that would replicate them shedding the old leaves to get ready for the new ones. And with regards to the wet season, well, how do we affect uh, the environmental impact of those season, uh, seasonal inundations in our aquariums that are already wet, which is most of us. In other words, in an existing or filled aquarium, can we effectively replicate these processes? We can. I mean, there's some things we can do that would be different. For example, running them half full most of the year, which a lot of us don't want to do, and then increasing the water level to fill during the rainy season. That's a cool idea, but not something that a lot of us do. What we could do is simply mimic the dilution in the water, which occurs when massive amounts of rain come falling down from the sky. In other words, we can replicate this process through lots and lots of consecutive water changes, like maybe a few times a week in greater percentages. I know a lot of you out there are going, yay, this is great, Scott. Water changes, something I'm not a big fan of already, and now you're asking me to do four or five a week. Hey, man, I'm asking you to experiment here. And we could, of course, supplement this with greater flow. Uh, both from the filter outputs or the addition of power heads and electronic you know, pumps, etc. The technology's there. I know, again, you're saying, Felman, you're insane. The benefits that you get from all this extra work aren't worth it. Well, do you know that for sure? <laughs> the benefits part, of course. The insanity part is probably a definite possibility here. But there's a reason why fishes react to seasonal changes the way they do. I think it's worthwhile experimenting with these things. Of course, other things you can do to mimic the seasonal inundations and and water level changes are to add more and more leaves and botanicals during this time. Mimicking the effects of continuous leaf drop and the accumulation of botanical materials caused by the currents with the increased water and water movement. And perhaps even refreshing the substrate with materials like soils, clays, you know, that planted aquarium stuff and the the substrates we're going to be releasing shortly that, that sort of mimic this and they simulate the release of new organics and other compounds that were caused when previously dry florist floors are inundated with water. You're increasing the nutrient levels. I find that very intriguing. And of course, these result in, you know, deeper tinted water, perhaps some turbidity, perhaps some more nutrients that may cause algae or fungal growth, things that you have to get used to. But if you're thinking along the lines of creating a very realistic simulation of nature and you're willing to go for it, these are things you're going to see And instead of us taking this long-held belief that, oh, a cloudy aquarium with biofilms or whatever 
is a failure of some sort. It's a, a husbandry issue or whatever. Looking at it is saying, no, this is an intentional thing. Look at the fishes. If the fishes are thriving and doing what they have done for centuries, why is it that we as aquarists have to think that everything needs to be pristine at all aspects and all phases of the aquarium's existence? It doesn't. So mental shift we have to make as well. Another thing, oh, we could add a lot more food to the tanks. Like, for example, feed a lot of live food like Daphnia, copepods, worms, fruit flies, stuff that would likely be more readily available to fishes in an inundated or newly inundated environment. Perhaps you could even go as far as changing the diet seasonally to reflect this abundance. That could be interesting. Now, I'm not suggesting to starve your fishes the rest of the year, but I am curious if there would be any significant effects that we'd notice in captivity by varying the diet and the quantity fed to our fishes based on the seasonal availability of different food sources. In other words, feeding them more of something a certain time of year or less of it another time of year, maybe feeding a lot more, maybe backing off a bit during other parts of the year. Again, replicating some of these processes. And, and I think that's fascinating. Could that have an implication for growth, spawning, health, color, vigor? There's so many possibilities out there. And again, I'm not saying that you have to embrace every single one of these changes, but you know, I look at pictures of fishes in the wild and I look at pictures of fishes in the aquarium and they look different. Obviously, some of these are due to the physical environment, the water chemistry or whatever. Some of these might be due to the processes that happen in their, uh, in their bodies based on food availability at various times of the year or water temperature or current or flow or what, all these minutiae that we talk about here. So everything we experiment with has some potential benefit. Creating aquariums which replicate even more specific conditions within the context of seasonal changes, including the availability, like we said, of food sources within the aquarium, is a fascinating process with broad-reaching implications for the hobby. Uh, the aquarium, I, I think of the aquarium that I just have been playing with uh, in my office where I call it my late-season agapa, where it represents the season where all the vegetation essentially went dormant or, or even died, but the, the, the skeletons, so to speak, the 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 twigs and things are still there and there's a lot of biofilm accumulation i made a deliberate attempt at creating a lot of smashed up crushed up leaf litter mixed into the clay like substrate the tank was turbid for a while now it's crystal clear um but it's a fascinating replication people that have been to those environments have told me this is spot on what it looks like so i'm okay we got the look now we'll play with the function that's a that's a aquarium designed to replicate a specific season i know biotope guys have done that for a while i'm talking about it not just looking that way but functioning that way so we'll see how this one goes it's it's early days on this tank and i'm kind of excited for what it'll do um you know fishes have evolved over eons to feed in specific ways i keep going back to food because it's really important could it be a key to better you know breeding outcomes perhaps activating some locked up genetic programming, even in our captive bred cichlids, kerosens, and catfishes. I know I talk about this a lot because I think there's something there. I think the application of the impacts caused by these seasonal cycles are an unlock that could do all kinds of things for our fishes, including making those difficult to spawn fishes feel like spawning in our tanks. I mean, who knows? However, doesn't it at least make sense to investigate? I really think so. I think we're at a very exciting juncture in the aquarium hobby where it's definitely worth looking at these things and with the environments particularly the amazon on everybody's mind today they're so imperiled learning about how the animals are impacted by the environment and, and perhaps trying to replicate this in a greater detailed way than ever before has never been more important there's many many different seasonal change cues and occurrences which we as hobbyists can study and experiment with to see what if any impact they might have on the fishes we keep 
the adaptations, the behavioral changes, and the spawning activities that occur in our fishes are certainly tied to these seasonal changes, and perhaps are the key to more predictable success in spawning challenging or previously unspawnable fishes. I think that's really important, something to think about again. Something to play with as the days sort of grow cooler, the nights grow longer, and the opportunity to spend more time in our fish rooms beckons. What secrets will you unlock if you make that mental shift to look at things just a bit differently? What geeky experiments are you going to try? What lessons will we collectively learn? What fishes will we spawn? How much money will we spend on stuff in the process? Wait, don't answer that. But seriously, do consider the process of studying and replicating, to the extent that you can, the wonderful and fascinating seasonal cycles of nature and their impact on the fishes that we're so obsessed with. As much as you'd like me to, I'm not going to stop talking about this idea. Maybe not every day, but I'm not going to stop talking about it. Someone has to do it, right? Might as well be me pushing you, our community, which is quite progressive in in, in looking at these ideas. I, I think it's really important to play with this stuff. I think it's really important to try new things, to push the boundaries a little bit. Yes, there's aesthetic considerations. There are practical considerations, but the the lessons to be learned by these things and the lessons to be learned by making these mental shifts are just huge. And I think we have so many exciting things that we can find out together and share. And I encourage you to experiment, to share, to to bring it to our attention here in the the world of uh, the tint. Uh, We'd love to share your successes, your failures, your postulations, your, you know, concerns. Um, It's really important that we discuss this stuff and I think we will. So get to it, okay? Stay crazy, stay creative, stay motivated, stay innovative, stay adventurous, stay experimental and stay inspired. And of course, always stay wet, regardless of the season. Once again, this is Scott Bellman. Thanks a lot for stopping by and spending part of your day with us. Looking forward to seeing you at the next installment of The Tint.